Thanks, Nathan. So, just as we've been doing for a period of time now, Jesus doesn't enter uh, into the Bible in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew. He fantastically enters right at the start in the Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, Jesus is is uh, mirrored, is, is mentioned, is prophesied, is talked about in many different ways. And we've only just scratched the surface, even been doing this for, for a number of weeks now, of, of Jesus in the Old Testament. And today, we're going to be looking at a classic Sunday school story, Jonah and the whale. Though it is a, you know, technically it was Jonah and the big fish, but, you know, Jonah and the whale, you know, does sound, it's got a bit of ring to it, doesn't it? I suppose it's not technically true, but we'll stick with Jonah and the whale. And Jonah's an interesting character. It's an interesting character because the story of Jonah, it's told over four chapters. And even at the very end, Jonah doesn't come out smelling of roses, even at the very end, he still just doesn't quite get it, what God was doing. And throughout, he's making poor decisions, poor choices. So it's an interesting character, definitely, and, and we'll look at this a bit later, for Jesus to kind of bring in a discussion that he had uh, when he walked the earth. But let's just recap. I, I won't, I'm not going to read through, of course, the whole, the whole book, but... Uh, Let's recap the story of Jonah. So we could maybe get some participation here. So there was once a man named Jonah. And God told Jonah to go to Nineveh because their wickedness had been brought before the Lord. But Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Jonah disobeyed God and went the other way and got on a boat bound for Tarshish. I knew I could count on you. That was, I was worried about that one. I was worried about that one. I knew I could count on a few of you. He was bound on a boat to Tarshish. And on that boat, a great storm befell the crew and Jonah. And Jonah was asleep. And the crew and the sailors go to Jonah. They wake him up and say, Jonah, Jonah, we're, 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 a storm has come. We're, we're, we're all praying to our God and to our gods. Get on your knees and pray. And, and, you know, fair play to Jonah, pretty much straight away, he kind of said, I think this is my fault, guys. I think this is, I think this is to do with me. Um, you see, the God that I follow is actually the creator of the land and the sea. And I'm trying to run away from him. So he did own up, you know, we'll give him his due there. He did own up quite quickly. And the sailors and, and, and the guys on the boat were obviously, well, if this is true, I, I, um, what do we do? And Jonah said, well, I think the only option really is to throw me overboard. Throw me into the sea and, and there you'll probably sort, it'll sort itself out. But of course, you know, the sailors there are quite fearful. If this God can be, you know, bring this mighty storm, what's he going to do to us if we throw Jonah overboard? So they get him into a lifeboat, they try and row, row him to shore, but it doesn't work. And so they finally say, the sailors, okay, if this is what we've got to do, we'll do it. But, you know, our blood, his blood, Jonah's blood is not on our hands, okay, God? So they throw him overboard and straight away, instantaneously, the storm stops. And Jonah is swallowed by 
a big fish. And in the belly of that fish, he's praying a a hopeful prayer, a prayer of God's protection, of, of providence, of salvation. And after three days and three nights, the big fish spits Jonah out and Jonah then affirms and and obeys God and goes to the city of Nineveh, probably a bit worse for wear. It probably takes quite a bit of time to get that stink out. But he went to Nineveh and he was preaching there, a very difficult message. He wasn't preaching a nice gospel message that you may have heard in, in churches of Jesus and the sacrifice Jesus had made and that for people to repent and come to, to, to Christ because that hadn't happened yet. He was preaching a very difficult, a very unpalatable message of what you're doing, you Ninevites, is angering God. It's completely wrong. You need to turn 360 degrees from what you are doing and turn to God. This guy had stank a bit, disshelved, preaching a very hard and difficult message. The result was beyond belief. The king of Nineveh, the whole city, repented. They put sackcloth on as to show their repentance, and a whole city turned to God. Now, if the story ended there, Jonah comes out looking quite good. You know, he had a bit of a blip to start off with. But in the end, he did it. He obeyed. He preached. He spoke the word of God and the city repented. But for reasons only known to Jonah, he couldn't keep his mouth shut. And he, there's, there's a, there's a, the last, last uh, sort of chapter and a half of the book is, is just un, unbelievable. He, he cries out to God in anger. In anger. He says, God, I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen. This is why I wanted to stay at home. Because you're a God that is slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew that you would forgive these guys. And you know what? I would rather be dead than see you outpour your grace and your love. It's an unbelievable reaction. Jonah would rather have died than seen God outpour lavishly his grace and his love to the Ninevites. And God, you know, makes a very good point. He said, well, these are my children. These are my children. What else would I have done? What else would you expect me to do? It's an interesting account and and really interesting for for Jesus to pick it up as he does in the Gospel of Matthew as uh, as kind of an illustration and demonstration of what Jesus uh, was going to do after three days and three nights. But before we move on to to that, just if I may, just for, for, for Gillian, just after this momentous day of declaring what God has done and Jesus has done for you, just, uh, you know, really for, for my heart, something that Jonah didn't do very well, of just encouraging you in all things, just to continue saying yes to God, saying yes to God. I think it's something that we could all walk in more and more, saying yes to God. Jonah isn't a particularly great example, but Jesus was and Jesus is. 
In the Gospel of John, Jesus said to those gathered around him, I haven't come from heaven to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father. And even to the point of death, we read a few hours before Jesus is crucified, he's on his knees, really praying to God, take note, is there any other way? Does this, what is about to happen to me, does it have to happen? But he says to his Father God, but your will be done. Your will, not mine. And when we talk about saying yes to God and, and, and trying to have that as a daily occurrence in our lives, it's not out of a sense of, of duty, a sense of legalism, a sense of, well, I probably should. This is what's expected of me as a good Christian, as a good follower of Christ, to be saying yes to him as much as I can. Rather, it's acknowledging that God has a plan for your life. And by saying yes to him in ever more increasing appetite, you're going to be following and walking more closely that perfect plan that God has for you. The more you're saying, your will God, not mine, ever closer you are walking in the plan that God has for you. And if you are choosing, if you do that, then you must also believe that that is the best thing for your life. For you to have the fullest, the best, the most abundant, the most fruitful, the most blessed life, to do and to make that declaration of yes is going to bring you closer to that plan that God has for you and therefore to the fullest and most abundant life that he has for you. Something else that we can get also get a bit wrong when we're talking about saying yes to God and God's plan for our life is we can sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, get a bit arrogant and think, well, this is God's plan for my life. God needs me to do X. For Jonah, it was to go to the city of Nineveh and preach this, uh, preach this message. If Jonah had said no consistently, would God have forgotten the Ninevites? Would have God sat back, well, Jonah was my, my only shot. If Jonah's not going to do it, then it's not going to happen. That whole city's just not going to, it's not going to be redeemed. It's not going to be turned. Of course not. But we, in, in smaller things, can sometimes feel that, and either out of arrogance, but also it can make us feel quite guilty of saying, I'm the only one, you know, God's put this on my heart, and if I don't do it, then this part of God's plan's not going to happen. If I'm not there, if, 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 if what God's put on my heart's not outworked, oh, this person, this situation, it's, it's going to be lost. It's bordering arrogance and it's bordering guilt and burden that we don't need on our shoulders. Because friends and family, I'm sorry to say, God doesn't need you. I'm sorry, God doesn't need you. If God wanted his whole redemptive plan for this universe 
could completely bypass every single individual person. He could do it all himself. He could do it all himself. But in his infinite wisdom, he chooses to use us. He chooses to use us and for us to participate in this great redemptive plan and adventure that he has for the universe and for these individuals. He chooses to allow us to participate. So really what it comes down to is the biggest person that loses out and misses out when you say no to God is you. Is you. Because nothing can stop God's plan and God's will for an individual's life, for a situation, for the universe. Nothing can stop it. We see it in the story of Jonah. Jonah disobeyed God. He got on that boat to Tarshish. But even in his disobedience, God's redemptive plan still outworked. Because those sailors that threw Jonah overboard, the next verse, it says that they then worshipped Jonah's God and made their vows to him. Even in disobedience, God bought redemption and salvation. God still showed himself to people. So don't believe a lie or burden yourself with a lie that God's will will be thwarted or be stopped by the lack of your participation. But I implore and encourage each of us to say yes to God more and more frequently so we can be ever more in participation and in hand in hand with him for the great wonderful adventure that he has for many people's lives, for situations and for this town and for this country and for this world. So looking now at what Jesus said about Jonah, My biggest pet peeve about Bibles is the pages are so small that you kind of just move a few and you're suddenly in like three different books. I should have just brought my phone up, to be honest. Anyway, I've, got, I've even got a bookmark. It doesn't even do anything because it's so tiny. Anyway, let's not lose track. All right, so I'm using uh, today uh, the message, uh, which some of you may have come across. There's different translations um, of the Bible. You've got something like, an, okay, are you ready for this? This is going to get really, this is getting into some detail. You have stuff like the ESV, the English Standard Version. So that's what's called a word for word, nearly a word for word translation, where they're trying to take, you know, the scholars are trying to take as much as possible word for word uh, in the Greek and the Hebrew into, for us, English. You've then got site, which is probably one of the most popular, the NIV, which is thought for thought. So not necessarily trying to diligently translate each word for word, but what is the author really saying behind those words where some where they can take a bit of liberty and, of course, some well-thought-out uh, approaches to really get the thought across that was behind the words. And then we've got the message, which is on a, uh, a whole different 
spectrum. This is, this is, this is closest would be a paraphrase where it's really trying to use contemporary, engaging language. It's, it's, it, it's not even, you can't really call it a translation as such. It's really trying to use as accessible language. It, you know, it does away with verses and to really try and just bring out as accessibly as possible what was being written and, and talked about. We don't use it, I say, I, I, and... I use it today just because some of the verses, some of the, the phrases, there's a guy called Eugene Peterson who, who, who wrote this and, and spent many years doing this. It's just some of his turns of phrase, you know, he uses kind of uh, some colloquial slants and cliches and stuff like that. It, it just really brings to life um, some of these passages. So we look at, we're looking at Matthew 12 and uh, verses uh, 36 to 40. We're looking at uh, a time when the Pharisees, so the Jewish leaders of the, of the time, uh, are really trying to trip Jesus up, uh, trying to box him in a corner. And they're starting to kind of accuse Jesus of uh, the miracles and the signs that he uh, has been doing kind of saying and attributing them to Satan and saying, you're doing black magic, you're doing the devil's work. And we get to this point where they say to him, teacher, Jesus, we want to see your credentials. Give us some hard evidence that God is in this. How about a miracle? Jesus said, you're looking for proof, but you're looking for the wrong kind. All you want is something to titillate your curiosity and satisfy your lust for miracles. The only proof you're going to get is what looks like the absence of proof. Jonah evidence. Like Jonah, three days and nights in the fish's belly, the Son of Man will be gone three days and nights in a deep grave. And on judgment day, the Ninevites will stand up and give evidence that will condemn this generation. Because when Jonah preached to them, they changed their lives. A far greater preacher than Jonah is here. And you squabble about proof. On judgment day, the queen of Sheba will come forward and bring evidence that will condemn this generation. Because she travelled from a far corner of the earth to listen to wise Solomon. Wisdom far greater than Solomon is right in front of you. And you quibble over evidence. They were asking for a sign. They were asking for a, a clear, irrefutable piece of evidence and proof that could in some way affirm and give weight and credibility to what Jesus was doing. And people still do that today. They may be, you may be here for the first time, may not have a a uh, uh, faith or, or, or maybe want to but uh, I've said maybe in the past God give me a sign if you want me to follow you if you want me to believe in you give me a clear sign why can't you just make it clear to me give me some, some, some tangible evidence that you exist just like the Pharisees did there with Jesus And Jesus' response was, was quite firm. I'm standing here right in front of you. I'm right in front of you. 
Even today, when people cry out for a sign that God is there, that God is real, that God is worth believing in. They're saying, God the Father, Christ the Son is right in front of you. Just in the last moments, we've seen and heard a wonderful testimony of a life transformed in Gillian, of where she was and where she is now. Jesus is crying out, I'm right in front of you in the life and in the declaration of Gillian. Yesterday we heard about a big youth camp of thousands of teenagers at a place called New Day. Hundreds making a first time commitment to God. Hundreds being physically healed and many, many of these getting then medically verified to make sure Jesus is saying, here I am. Here I am. We look at creation, every sunrise, every sunset is displaying the glory of the risen Lord, of a creator God. Every coincidence Every chance, encounter and conversation, many, many of those are God saying, here I am. Every head on the shoulder, every hug, every piece of comfort is God working through those around you. Every day, without fail, if you start looking is Jesus saying, I am here. Here I am. Many people who become a Christian, one of the, one of the things they say fairly frequently is, I'm starting, I, I, I see God everywhere. I, I seem to have quite a few coincidences now. I get a lot, there's a lot of coincidences. I seem to, there seems to be a, a lot going on that I just can't put my finger on. And when they start looking, when you start opening, opening eyes and seeing what God does on a daily basis, he's there, friends. He's there. And he's greater than anything or anyone that you've currently got or you currently hold on to. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, came out and a city was saved. Christ was in the tomb in the ground for three days and three nights and the whole universe was aligned and saved. A far greater preacher than Jonah. Far greater wisdom than Solomon. He gives you far greater assurance and comfort in life. I attest personally, and as many in this room would, that anything that you cling on to, any security of a relationship, of a job, financially, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And put him to the test. 
explore this claim because without knowing somebody without knowing Jesus that sounds quite an arrogant egotistical thing to say I'm greater than Jonah I'm greater than Solomon I am the greatest thing that you will ever have in your life but explore that claim that Jesus makes because I've found that as millions have done in the past and currently do I have found that to be true. Greater than anything, anyone that I could have in my life. It's quite a big claim because what it ultimately means is that he's greater than my wife. The love, the acceptance, the safety, the comfort I can get from my wife, from my children... I affirm that Jesus is greater because I will let her down, as I've already done today, I probably think, maybe in the morning getting some breakfast ready for the kids. She's going to let me down. But God and Jesus the Son doesn't happen. They are greater. They are greater. I'll just invite the, the band back up just as we look to close just in a few moments you may if you're already a Christian and a follower of Jesus may just want to be affirming and responding to say I want to say yes to God more I believe wholeheartedly that he has a perfect plan for my life and that plan I want to be walking ever closer to and that means I'm going to be need to be saying Yes to him more. And if what I was saying about Jesus being greater, Jesus being more than you could ever imagine, that Jesus is there in front of you as you go about your day-to-day life. I just want to share some last verses at the end of Jonah where we read what, what I was just saying at the start, that Jonah was furious with God. He lost his temper. He yelled at God. God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. That God was ready at a drop of a hat to turn his plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. At a drop of a hat. There's no recrimination here. There's no long discussion at the start. At a drop of a hat, God is ready to take you out of the path that you're heading without him and turn that into a program of forgiveness. At a drop of a hat, he's ready to welcome back his son, his daughter into his arms and start out working his love and grace and gifting into your life. Don't let anyone tell you any different that this is a a 10-week course of treatment 
that this is a long conversation you have to have with a priest. At the drop of a hat, God is ready to turn his plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. Amen.